righty. Welcome, everybody. Welcome, everybody, to the second episode of Live 270. And once again in the house, I've got Mr. Kevin Gaona, who is sitting in the co-host chair. Kevin, welcome back. Hi, Danny. How you doing? I'm doing good. Doing good. It's been one of those uh, busy weeks, but uh, I'm kind of glad we're headed over to the end of the uh, of the uh, week. It's been a little bit of a rough week this week. <laughs> it has been a little rough, especially today for me with the technical issues here at the house, but uh, glad we were able to make it work. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I run into technical issues just about every day. <laughs> Well, on tonight's show, uh, for everybody that's watching, we're going to look at Operation Lone Star. Uh, for those of you that are not familiar with Operation Lone Star, that is Governor Abbott's uh, uh, program to uh, put control of the border. And the questions that we have is, you know, are we still losing control of the border? Is Operation Lone Star actually working? Are there things that... Uh, maybe posing a danger as far as the deterrent goes. You know, there's been a lot of reports about different things going on. So we wanted to kind of, you know, have a show about, you know, the whole uh, operation. And, uh, you know, we'll go ahead and kind of get started here, if you give me a second. Um, you know, how familiar uh, are you with Operation Lone Star and the things that uh, they're trying to do, Kevin, while I work here on this screen? <laughs> I'm sorry, you're breaking up. Can you yeah, repeat that again? The, yeah, the question is, uh, how familiar are you with Operation Lowstar and some of the missions and the goals with regards to that? Um, just uh, probably uh, as much as the general public as everybody else, just that they're trying to uh, secure the, the border, uh, the Texas border with Mexico and keep the, the influx of fentanyl and uh, human trafficking and, and illegals coming in the border. Right. Um, right. You there? Yeah. 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 Let me uh, let me get to that screen real quick here. Give me a second. All right. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Let's start this. Let's there we go. All right. Very beginning. I'm still trying to get to get used to uh, Google Meet, and uh, I don't know. Are you still with me? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I can't see you, but uh, I can hear you. So, so that's yeah. This is only the second time that I use Google Meet, actually. Ah, okay. Yeah, it's a little different than Zoom. Um, you know, it's just slightly a little different. Yeah. But uh, let me see. Here. Let me see. I'm going to put you up here on the screen. There you go. Okay, cool. All right. So basically, uh, we've got Operation Lone Star. And uh, basically, that was a joint effort between the Texas National Guard and the Texas Department of Public Safety back in March of 2021. Uh, it basically is a program to prevent, detect, and interdict transnational criminal behavior between the ports of entry. 
and the ports of entry are typically uh, the bridges. Uh, I mean, I think there's national, international airports that can service port of entries, but for the majority, you know, we're talking about you know international bridges from Brownsville all the way to El Paso. And this started back in March 2021 in response to um, the lack of enforcement by the Biden administration. So basically, this all started about because of Title 42. And for those of you that are not familiar with Title 42, Title uh, 42 is part of the Public Health Service Act of 1944. Its original purpose was to prevent the spread of diseases in the U.S. And primarily it was set up back in the 40s to combat the cholera uh, epidemic that was going on in the 40s. Actually, the law existed in a different form all the way back to 1893. And then that transitioned into what is known as Title 42. But basically what that law did is it gave the president the authority to exclude people from certain countries during public health emergencies. Prior to 2022, the law had never been used. In fact, there was only a brief moment around 1929 where it was used for a, a small pandemic. But beyond that, it was never used before. So in March 2020, the Trump administration activated Title 42, and it gave the authority to the Border Patrol to basically turn people away who were seeking asylum. And that was in response to help stop the spread of COVID-19 at the immigrant detention centers across the country. Um so basically, you know, what it was initially, it was activated basically to stop the spread of COVID-19 at the time. But it also, you know, affected, well, it affected the people that were trying to seek asylum at the same time. Um, so basically what happened is Title 42 expired along with a lot of other COVID-related laws that were passed in the last two or three years. So Title 42 expired and everybody outside the U.S. got wind of it and they started coming back north. So that basically is what led to the current influx at the border. Now, the question that always comes up is, what is asylum? You know, there's all kinds of controversy over what asylum is. You know, if you if you are from a country, you know, in the Middle East that they're coming after you, well, some people can claim asylum, right? If you're coming from El Salvador and Guatemala, where you've got MS-13, you know, they can claim asylum. Unfortunately, the only ones that can't claim asylum are those coming from Mexico. Uh, which, by the way, are far and few. Uh, if you look at the whole pie of immigrants or migrants coming over, you find out that the Mexican migrants are about 13% and everybody else is like up there. So basically, asylum, the definition of asylum is asylum is a protection given by a country to someone who has left another country because of a well-founded fear of persecution. 
Persecution means that a person is continually treated in a cruel or harsh way because of their race, religion, political ideas, or some other aspect of identity. Asylum allows the person to stay in the new country legally. To explain it in more simple terms, there are people all over the world who leave their country because it's unsafe or dangerous because of war, violence, mistreatment, natural disaster. They're called refugees. Asylum is a kind of protection that lets someone stay in a country instead of being deported, sent back to the country because they're afraid for their safety. That's the official definition. Now, usually in the U.S., they grant people asylum from other countries who meet the international definition of a refugee. And the U.N. 1951 Convention and 1967 Protocol defines a refugee as a person is, who is unable or unwilling to return to their home country and obtain protection due to past persecution or legitimate fear of being persecuted in the future. Congress incorporated this definition to U.S. immigration law in the Refugee Act of 1980. Now, Kevin, what's your what's your take on this whole asylum thing? What's your your viewpoint on that? I mean, obviously, we know what the we know what the conventions and protocols are. Uh, but do you think everybody has a legitimate reason to? Claim asylum? No. <laughs> uh, first of all, I think it is a legitimate uh, concept or a legitimate principle to have in place uh, for people who are being persecuted for legitimate reasons. Uh, we've used it in, in the history of the U.S. Uh, for a number of reasons. And we need to have it in place, and it should be there. But one of the things that has happened over the last 20, 30 years is that people have learned to game the system. Um, and no doubt, with the increased activism of the left, um, they have been coached to say certain things and to make certain claims. Uh, so that they they can gain access to the country using the umbrella of seeking asylum uh, as refugees because of certain elements, certain uh, reasons of persecution uh, in their home countries. And then once they're in the country, especially with the bad laws, uh, the inefficiency of our system, and frankly, some incompetence, uh, both for in the executive branch in terms of enforcing the laws and just the uh, the inertia of, of our system. Some people in, in the millions never get to see their day in court. And so they linger and they stay here for years, maybe even decades. Uh, and so anyways, no, I, I think that even though the the, uh, the principle of asylum is a legitimate one. I don't think everyone who claims asylum has a legitimate claim. Now, so, it gets increasingly difficult to be able to tell who's telling the truth and who isn't. 
right because they're being coached right so but that's well, a problem one of the things that you know there's always been a complaint especially from the mexican migrants is they seem to be they feel that they're they get discriminated they get the short on the end of the stick because if you're from cuba you automatically can claim asylum if you're from haiti you can automatically claim asylum it seems like they get the green light to just come over here you know and no must be son el pie and yeah they've they've got the ticket in you know the the question is is what should the clean definition of asylum be i mean is somebody from guatemala in as much danger as somebody from the ukraine for example you know or somebody where is obviously facing true persecution um you know the thing of those these refugees coming from guatemala and el salvador their claim is that they're running away from the ms-13 gangs you know that the ms-13 gangs are trying to recruit them and their kids to do their stuff you know and so they they claim that they're coming over you know uh to escape all that you know and by the way by the way i have i have a little bit of history with regards to uh, this whole thing about asylum and, and refugees i before my current employment i used to work for a government contractor uh i worked for one of several companies that um they would set up shelters for these refugees. And it was very surprising, you know, how often these mothers would actually send their kids over with coyotes, little babies. And they'd send them with coyotes and they'd send them over to cross the river. And it was amazing to watch one-year-old, two-year-old, three-year-old toddlers by themselves without any parents. You know, and and so a lot of these people, like, for example, our employees, you know, today, you know, we have a certain generation. It doesn't appear that this next generation, but the previous generation to Gen Z uh, during their young years, they they got a lot of tattoos. OK, and when they would go work at these places, we would tell them. You've got to cover yourself up. And the reason was because of the trauma of the MS-13 gangs. If you've ever seen one of those gang members, they're tattooed from the neck all the way God knows where and everywhere in between around their face. And so they had to, we had to literally tell our employees, you got tattoos covered up because we don't want the kids to think that you're part of MS-13. And uh, we had a lot of those situations. So... I don't know. Is somebody from Guatemala and El Salvador who's running away from that, from those types of situations? Is that asylum? You know, no, because if you're going to use, if we're going to accept the threat of gang violence in the home country as the determining factor, then what about Chinese triads or the, the Russian mafia or the Japanese? Yakuza, I mean, Mexico has their own gangs, right? They have the cartels, and they the cartels have been, I mean, the cartels are kind of big now, but they've been, you know, those things have been in place long before the word cartel 
was a term. You know, the fashion word of, of the day. Right. That stuff has been around for a long time in Mexico since I was a kid, even before I was a kid. Yeah. And if you go to Brazil, if you go to Argentina, uh, go to Africa, the, the African gangs are pretty powerful too and violent and they're brutal. So there's just not enough uh, land mass in the U.S. to accommodate every person that potentially could be persecuted or recruited or threatened by gangs in their home country. So no, persecution or threat by, by gangs in their own country is not, or to me does not fit or should not be included as part of the asylum uh, paradigm, Right. period. So then at minimum, what does asylum or what should asylum constitute, I guess, in your opinion? Political repression, if you have a, whether it's from the left or from the right, if you have a communist or fascist uh, government, whether you have like the in, the in the 70s where you had um, like the Sandinistas or you had other people in, in, in Guatemala and Nicaragua and El Salvador, if you had those kinds of right. regimes or in, in Central America. Pol Pot and Cambodia. Right. Right, if you had uh, like, uh, what was his face? Uh, Peron in Chile, and you had other people in, in, in Argentina and, and those kinds of places. If you have those kinds of regimes and and they are taking prisoners, uh, say journalists or, or, or um, people, academics or artists or politicians that they're pose a threat to their repressive regimes, that's persecution, right? Right. So that that fits into the traditional definition of political repression because the fact is everybody likes to claim we are victims of a repressive regime. The problem is that most citizens do not take a stand against repressive regimes. Right. So in my in my small view of, of these things, in, in, in my opinion, if you're not willing to take a stand, then you are not prone to be victimized by the regime because you're not, they don't even know you exist. Mm -hmm. But the journalist, the politician, the academic that writes, talk about a, a social needs in or people like that, that uh, uh, Waleska in Poland, the people that take a stand and pose a threat to the regimes, those people are persecuted. So they can claim asylum. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the things. And, and, and in fairness to the Mexican migrants, I mean, they do have a point. They seem to be, they seem to be, you know, uh, treated differently than everybody else, you know, uh, for whatever reason. Right. But the funny part about all of that is that if you look at the percentage of Mexican migrants versus everybody else, I mean, they're, the rest of them are coming in in droves. I mean, we have even Haitians coming through the border and all kinds of stuff. I mean, remember, if you look, actually, if you look historically, if you look at the numbers, more Mexicans come into the country. And I, I'm, I'm a Mexican descent, yeah. so I've been called racist even by some family <laughs> members in the past. 
And that is one of the most ignorant, one of the dumbest things I've ever heard in my life. And I've told my family that, that is yeah. the most ignorant, dumbest things I've heard in my life. But, but it's true. Uh, we've, we've been told, we've been taught to feel and to think that we are being victimized just because we're not treated the same way. It's not possible for more Cubans to have entered the U.S. and Mexicans because numerically it's impossible. There are not that many Cubans as there are Mexicans. So right. numerically it's physically impossible. So yeah. when Mexicans say, well, there's more Cubans than Mexicans going into the U.S., it's not possible. Yeah. So it's not true. Yeah. Same thing with the Haitians uh, or take any country in Central America. There's not enough of, now you combine them, maybe, yeah. maybe. Um, but the numbers historically, when the U.S. Congress has limited, like uh, I can remember, I think it was like uh, two, like right before or right after the the uh, the Great Depression, when the Congress limited the number of immigrants from each country up to twenty thousand. Right. They realized that that was not going to be possible, so they increased the number of Mexicans to be able to replace the the number of people because of World War uh, World War Two kicked off. So they needed to replace the labor for all the men that were going off to war. Yeah. So historically, the number of Mexican immigrants has been increased more than any other nationality. Yeah. So people just have, they have a, a victim mindset that, oh, this other country, they're letting more people in. Yeah. The numbers are just simply not there. Well, one of the things that Operation Lone Star has done, you know, obviously it's it's had some some effect. You know, one of the things that Operation Lone Star has done is it's basically has resulted in four hundred and one thousand illegal immigrant apprehensions. That means that since twenty twenty one um, there have been 400, 000, over 400,000 illegal immigrant apprehensions, means they've been caught as they've been trying to cross the border. Now, what that breakdown is, whether it's Haitians, Guatemalans, El Salvadorans, Brazilians, or Mexicans, we don't know what the actual number is. I don't have a breakdown of that. But overall, it's led to over 400,000 illegal immigrant apprehensions. It has led to 32,400 criminal arrests. These people who crossed had a criminal background of some sort in their home country. And when they got caught here, they, and they found out that these guys were criminals. And obviously, you know, uh, they were arrested and deported and sent back. Uh, obviously, you know, not every, not everybody crossing the border is a, as it was coined one time, a race, a race, a rapist, a murderer, and a thug. But thirty-two thousand were criminals. Twenty-nine thousand six hundred resulted in felony charges. I don't know what exactly all the felonies were. Whether they're class A, class B, class C, but there was definitely twenty-nine thousand six hundred since the start of that operation. And it has led to a capture of 
422 million lethal doses of fentanyl that have been seized at the border. You know, these days, uh, it's not very profitable to sell weed or coke. It's much more profitable to sell fentanyl. And so uh, it appears that, you know, it, it has led. So there's definitely some pluses. I mean, there's no doubt about that. As you know, there's been some controversy caused by two of our governors. One, of course, is Governor Abbott here in this state and Governor Ron DeSantis out of Florida. And basically what they did is they shipped off uh, some immigrants over to the northern states. And, Good for them. Uh, and uh, by the way, the New York mayor was complaining that they don't have any more space to hold these people, by the way. So I don't know what they're going to do, but uh, they shipped out 8,200 migrants over to New York City to date. They shipped out 2,600 migrants to Chicago. They shipped out 1,600 over to Philadelphia. And I was a little surprised by this picture. They sent only 200 to Denver and 40 to Los Angeles. You'd think they would have sent more to California. <laughs> yeah. You know. Agreed. You know. But obviously, those numbers are pretty low for Denver and, and, and Los Angeles. So so what's your take on this? Is this a political stunt? Um, is it sending a message? I mean... Obviously, you're just kicking the can to the other side of the street, you know. Um, Listen, the the modern left, the contemporary left, is following the 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 teachings of uh, Saul Alinsky. Uh This guy wrote. I I have the books. I've read the books. Uh One of one of the things. He taught in, and I'm oversimplifying by like orders of magnitude, but essentially he taught that it was, everything's a PR game. Change yeah. the definition of words, take ownership of words, redefine them, um, be on the offensive about taking the, the, the narrative. That's a big word, right? The narrative. Right. This is what this is. And the left has been doing it to perfection, near near perfection, for 20, 30 years. It's about time that the right started doing stuff like that because this, not only some, I think it was AOC who said that it was a political stunt. Yeah. Okay, fine. <laughs> but stunts can be effective too. And this has brought the attention because, like you said, the mayor of New York is now calling and President Biden to declare this thing a crisis. Yeah, it's about time some Democrats in Congress and mayors of the of, of some big cities that are dealing with this issue now that they start calling President Biden and then, hey, this is a real problem. Yeah. We are having to deal with it. Yeah. So do something about it because one of the things um, in the last census the. Hispanics are now the largest non-white group in Texas. That is true. That is true. They are the majority in Texas now. Right. Yeah. And what part of the strategy, of course, this is 
this is not being discussed publicly. But one of the goals of the Democrat Party, which is which is a legitimate goal, there's nothing wrong with it. So I'm not making some uh, like conspiratorial accusation here. But the goal is to turn Texas blue, right? Or, so they're or doing purple. It. Or purple. Or purple. So one way of doing that is by bringing all of these Hispanics into the state, keeping them here, and then saying, see, this is what our party is going to do for you. This is what we've done. So we expect you now to vote for us because we brought you into the country and we are giving you all of these services. So now you owe us because that's basically how this works, right? Now, they've done it. to They've done it to Hispanics. They've done it to blacks. That's how it works. Now, keep in mind that, so, that though the immigrants today that are getting asylum or allowed to stay, I mean, It'll be 10, 12, 15 years, maybe even 20 years before they can get that voter registration card, you know? Sure, uh, sure. Yes, uh, but the end game is for them to be able to vote Democrats. That's the end game. However long it takes, but that's the end game. Yeah. So by doing this, the, uh, both DeSantis and Abbott are saying, hey, we have a real problem here. And they they understood a couple of years ago that the only way they were going to get the nation's attention was to get some democratic cities to have to face the problem of having migrants at their door. So I think, call it a stunt if you want, it worked. Mm -hmm. Now, I wonder why they didn't send any to Houston. You know, we have, you know, the, the, the Texas large cities are all liberal. I mean, we know that, right? I mean, well, yeah, but, but it's, it's, it's in the state. That's why. <laughs> I think I said a few to Houston, you know? You know yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I understand what you're saying, but they would be sending them to their own, own state. So now, no, send them out of the state. Yeah. Well, you know, one of the things that a lot of people don't realize is that prior to the Trump administration, Every other administration really didn't do a whole lot when it came to this topic. I mean, you know, in the Reagan administration, you know, they were the Reagan administration was the biggest uh, was the biggest one that allowed a lot of asylum, a lot of asylum, you know, in 1986 with that immigration law. And of course, you know, you know, the Bush administrations didn't do anything. The Clinton administrations didn't do anything. And neither did the Obama administrations really didn't do anything. You know, on, in fact, yeah, they've but, been on the opposite end of things. You know, they've been wanting to bring more people in for different reasons. You know. Yeah, but one, one side note there with the Reagan administration, that there was a compromise with the Democrats and Reagan in 86. Uh-huh. Reagan agreed to that massive asylum or uh, amnesty for in exchange for reduced spending in the right. future, right. which the Democrats then backed out of and never followed through. Right. So there was a deal that, that was made between Reagan and Democrats, and then the Democrats backed out of it and never followed through. So that's, after that, I, I, keep, I keep bringing that up and saying, don't trust the Democrats. Every time they say they say they're going to cut spending, they, that's not what Democrats do. They mm-hmm. don't cut spending. Yeah, they don't even want to cut the rate of spending, which is different than cutting 
gross spending. People right. don't understand the difference between the two. Right. Well, one of the things, one of the arguments that they ha that a lot of people make is that you know we need these people because they're going to do the jobs that no American wants to do. You know, going out and picking the, the fruits and the vegetables. You know, serving as waiters and stuff like that. I mean, what's what's your take? I mean, remember, I, I don't know if you recall if if I, I mean, I know you're not no longer here in Brownsville, but you remember where the Fort Brown Hotel used to be? Yeah. Well, every year in the nineties, okay, uh, what would happen is you had these chicken farm companies from up north. I don't know whether they were in Arkansas or they were in in the Carolinas. But they would come down to the Fort Brown to recruit people, immigrants or migrants, to go work at the chicken farms because that was work that nobody else wanted to do. I mean, what's your t what's your take on that argument that, you know, we need them because nobody wants to do the work here? There's <clears> – so <throat> the argument – is my my argument and the argument that I hear that have, that I have always heard from other conservatives is we oppose illegal immigration, right? Right. But we understand the economics and the need for some of that low skill labor. Right. We need it's needed. So let's have a system in place, an effective system in place for those uh individuals that we need for the numbers that we need for those jobs um and allow those numbers to come into the country but let's have a system that regulates um that does the background checks for yeah. criminality that makes sure that they they're paying their taxes you know that they're following the rules let's have that in place so it's not about not allowing anyone to come into the country. It's about making sure that we have the right numbers of people coming in from what, I don't care from what country. It could be only Mexico, only from from Latin America. I don't care where they come from. Like it, any place is fine with me. As long as we have the right system in place to do the right background check, to make sure that they're gonna be following the rules, the laws of the country, uh, not just in, in terms of criminality, but uh, like not committing felonies and things like that, but right. paying their taxes, being responsible citizens, they're not going to be a burden to our already heavily taxed, overburdened social services system. Right, right. So I'm fine with that, like bringing in people to, to do all of the manual labor. That's right. fine. That's that's how my dad came into the U.S. My uncle, his older brother, yeah. he came as a bracero when he was a young man. He was part of the bracero program. So I understand that because my family was part of those programs. Yeah. Or my, part of my family was part of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, let's I mean, do it the right way. Yeah, I mean, I know several people that, you know, honestly don't have papers, but they've got a certain skill set that, oh, my God. And we're not talking like, 
you know, picking fruits and vegetables. We're talking carpenters, not only carpenter, but master carpenters and master sculptors. And they do great work. I mean, I, I've told people before, if these, imagine if these, if they make money now, okay, if they make money now, imagine if they had the papers, they'd be loaded, you know, because there's just some skills. And you touched on something that I want to tap on. What's your take on this idea of bringing people from India and other places like that for IT work? I mean, why from do we, where? From India for IT work. You know, you have this, well, what's the name of that uh, work permit that gets them to come over here uh, that companies can request? I can't remember the term for it. But I mean, should we be doing that versus hiring kids here that come out of college with IT degrees? I mean, why do we, why should we go out to India to grab those people when we've got, you know, guys working at Starbucks with IT degrees? I mean, what's your take? I'm on that? fine. I'm fine with bringing people from other countries. The problem I have with that, I, I so. Every time we talk about IT or cyber or telecommunications or engineering, and we talk about bringing foreigners, the uh, national security antennas pop out of my head, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's my concern every time. Right. And I've been called a jingoist. I've been called racist. I've been called a lot of things for those things. And I don't care. Yeah. You, you know, I, I really don't care because my concern is for the safety of the country. Right. So if we can bring qualified people that can pass the background test, rigorous background checks. Yeah. Uh, to work in those fields in the U.S., I'm all for it because right now we are short way short on enough personnel to cover when when our military uh, high-ranking officials, when the president, regardless of the party, when the president, when the Secretary of Defense, when those people get up there in public and they talk to the nation and they talk about saying things like, oh, our national defense is fine, and our personnel are the very best, and we have all of our bases covered. It's not true. Yeah, it's not true. We don't have all the bases covered. Yeah. Um, we have gaps. Uh, for whatever reason, that Chinese balloon showed a huge gap in our satellite coverage of certain. And I understand how the orbital mechanics of that work right. works because that's. That was my field in in the army, so I understand how that works. And I'm not going to get into details because that this is not what this is for, right? Right. But I right. I get how how the gaps in that sort of happen. Right. But the other gaps in IT in cyber, we are way undermanned. Right. Way undermanned. Yeah. Uh, there's other areas where we don't have enough personnel. We don't have the latest gear, the latest equipment, the latest technology in other fields. So we need to be spending money. Just today, on a website called Task and Purpose, it was started by some Marines, 
but they post stories about all the services. Uh, but I saw a story where in some base, I think it's here in Texas, uh, the soldiers stationed on that base are having a hard time having access to decent food. Okay, so these are soldiers on active duty, not having access to food. Wow. And my my blood started to boil because I thought, going back to immigration, so we are giving everything, everything to illegals, right? But our soldiers who, when the president says, go to you, if he says, go to Ukraine or go to Iraq or go to Afghanistan, go to Syria, go to Taiwan or go to Africa or go to wherever, they're on a plane, but we cannot make sure that they have enough food. Yeah. That's that's ludicrous. That that is not that is not to be taken lightly. And the fact that half of the country doesn't give a rat's tail about that, that makes my blood boil. Well, right. So we need to be bringing people from wherever. We need to be training people. I don't know in Brownsville or in the Valley, but here in San Antonio, there's. There's a, I think every high school has some level of a program where high school graduates or high schoolers can choose a certain track and they can graduate with like um, A plus, network plus, right. and security plus certifications, right. which means they can start making $40,000, $45,000 a year straight out of high school. Starting pay, correct. Starting pay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's, that's not one a small way change. To... That's not small change. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't know what the starting pay for teachers is in Brownsville, but here in San Antonio, it's like forty-five or fifty thousand for somebody yeah. who goes to school a minimum of three and a half to four years, and a high school graduate in the IT cyber field can start making that much without a single day of college. Right. Right. So that you know, that's a that's a whole different subject that we can get into. But let's that's not tonight. Yeah. Well, one of the things that I think you know is kind of interesting. Let me let me connect to our virtual iPad. Give me a second. Let me see if I can connect to it here. Um, and just to cover this topic a little bit. Yeah, we got our virtual iPad. Yeah, we got it. All right, cool. Okay, so basically, one of the controversies, I think you've heard about this, is these buoys that the governor has uh, put in place on the Rio Grande. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that I was a little bit in shock, I didn't quite realize, is that, and it's hard to kind of see it, but in between each buoy, there's like a metal saw blade, you know, like a circular saw has blades. Uh, yeah. Do you really think that was necessary? I mean, I mean, that's kind of bad. I mean, people are going to get caught in there, you know. I, I just don't know if, if they twist and turn around, but that was kind of like... It was kind of like shocking. Now, keep in mind that a lot of these videos were probably Democrats that were down here complaining about it. But, but yeah, look, there it is. There's the, oh, I'm sorry, I haven't flipped the screen yeah, I yet. I can't see it. Okay, Hold I mean, on. I, 
I've seen them. I know what you're talking about, but yeah. I can't see it right now. Yeah, hold on. Let me let me get there. Hold on. I'm sorry. I was like, what's going on here? Let me uh, get back. Oh, hold on. What the heck? Uh, hold on. Let me see. Oh. What happened to my airplay? It's gone. All right, hold on. Let me start airplay again. Hold on. It shut down on me. There we go. Sorry about that. Uh, there we go. Now let me. Huh. Let me get out of it. There it is. Okay, now it's there. All right, so let me let me connect. <laughs> See, you're not the only one that has technical problems. There we go. Okay, cool. All right. So basically what this video shows. Sorry about that. Let me go back. Hold on. Let me go back and replay it. Look at that. It almost looks like a circular yeah. song. Yes, somebody do a lot of ridiculous effort to design these things. I mean, do you I mean I can understand the buoys, but do you think that was really necessary to put that on those things? I mean that's kind of dangerous. <laughs> yeah, I uh I 100% disapprove of that. Like, when I first heard the story about the buoys, I thought that was a good idea. Right. But then, I don't know how how many days passed when, uh, before I heard about the those blades or whatever that is. And that was that's a terrible idea because it's... I don't care the age of the person that gets caught in there. I don't care if it's an adult or a child. That that can completely tear a person apart. Exactly. Um, and so no, that's that was unnecessary. Uh, I don't know what the purpose. I mean, obviously, it's designed. I think to send the message with the first one or two people that get caught and get hurt. It's like, go, oh, don't try to go through the middle. I think that's the message that they're trying to send. Yeah. But that's one heck of a message to send, and I I don't think that's a good idea. Yeah. I, I mean. Let, let me rephrase that. I think that was wrong. Yeah. I think that was just flat out wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree. I mean, I, I didn't have a problem with the buoys. I do have a problem with the buoys with that kind of stuff. That kind of stuff was like, uh, the problem is that, you know, people are going to get caught. They're going to get hurt. Let's say they get hurt on the other side of the buoy. Now it becomes our problem. Now it becomes a situation where the person got hurt. They're on the other. They're on our side. Now we have to transport them to a hospital. You know what that means? There's extra cost. You know, there's extra cost. You know. Well, and if it, well, and if they like they get caught on the Mexican side, right? It, it's it's also an international problem. So that's an even bigger problem because that's an international incident now because. If the Mexican authorities 
it's a it's a double-edged sword on the Mexican side because if the Mexicans render help, they're probably going to blow it out of proportion just to stick it to the U.S. Right. And if they don't render support, and the U.S. has to go into the Mexican side, so now you have U.S. personnel going into a foreign country. So now you're in an international incident. Right. So they whoever advised this needs to get fired. Like right. like if I were the governor, honestly, I would fire that person because the team that came up with this did not think through this. Right. Like I'm not that I'm not that smart of a guy. Right. And as soon as I saw that blade, one of the first thoughts was that's the potential for an incident, international incident right there. Right. That was the first one of the first things I thought. Yeah. 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 It, it was it was just shocking to me when I saw that. I wanted to go back a little bit because you mentioned something. You kind of touched on it, and I wanted to kind of go back to it. I kind of lost my train of thought because I wanted to cover the the circular Eddie, uh, Freddy Krueger uh, blades for a little bit. But I want to talk about what you mentioned about the th- millions of dollars that are being spent. And I can tell you without me violating any NDA that I signed in the past with the government contractor is that you're right. There are millions of dollars that are being spent on immigration center with on migrant centers, on housing and clothing. I could tell you stories offline, of course, of the millions of dollars in equipment, food, hardware, facilities that are being spent at the expense of the American taxpayer. Some of these so-called centers, they have schools inside the centers for a lot of the children that come over. Those schools have internet access, Wi-Fi access. They even have swimming pools. Okay. Yeah. And the, and the taxpayer doesn't know any of this. Not only that, but some of the board of directors of some of these so-called companies are former Republican and Democratic administration officials that are now at the top of those board of directors. And the American people don't know this. Yeah. They don't know how much stuff, how much millions of dollars are being spent on a daily basis. There are people that are hired to fly these refugees, especially the kids, to family members up north every single day. And we're not, we're talking commercial travel. We're not talking, you know, private travel, you know. So there's a lot going on. But, you know, I've always said that this problem has been created by the federal government and it is a by the problem what? that this problem has been created by the federal government and there yeah. there are characters out there on both sides of the political spectrum right and left that are making money off of these people absolutely you know R- Ronald Reagan said it best that the most where the scariest words in the English language were, I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Yeah. 
Yeah. He had it exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a huge There's problem. You know, I mean, here in Brownsville, I, I know it's been a while since you've lived down here, but one of the things that was built a few years ago, they built a, a bus station to have all the buses that come from Mexico in the U.S., a central bus station, right? It used to be over at St. Charles, if you recall, back on St. Yeah. Charles. Well, they built this really nice uh, bus station where all the buses come in and they leave. And it's really nice. It really is nice. It, it looks like a, like a Grand Central Station, okay? But in addition to that, because as you know, there's very limited parking downtown, they built the parking garage, okay? Really nice five-level parking garage for the people that were going to use the bus station. Well, what it's being used for is not for that. It is it, for a long time. It's been used to house illegal immigrants. So people can't park and use the parking garage because it's being used as a shelter to house illegal immigrants. This is a wow. fact. You know, so we've got a multi-million dollar building and it can't be used because we're housing all these people, you know, that, you know, uh, need a place to stay. I mean, they're here. What can we do, right? So, like right now? Like currently? I don't know about currently, but for at least a year, ever since COVID started. Okay. They, yeah, ever since COVID started, they used that, that parking garage and like I said, you go downtown today, it's very difficult to find parking space. And I think this parking garage holds about 500 cars or such. And it can't be used right now for its original intent because it's being used to house these people, you know. And that's kind of sad, you know. But that's, that's what the government does. You know, they... Um... They find a problem that may or may not exist, but they find it. They come up with a solution, quote unquote solution. They spent, well, they spent all insurmountable amounts of money, and the solution is only temporary because the problem, again, may or may not exist. And if it exists, it's only a temporary problem. But the solution that they build tends to be kind of like a permanent solution. Um, how many programs has the federal government instituted that have ended after four, five, 10 years or 20 years? None. They all expand. Everything Absolutely. that the government, that the federal, well, any, any government entity uh, puts in place if they don't stay the same, at the same level of uh, expenditure, except for maybe inflation, but if they don't stay at the same level, they expand. Right. They never increase, with, with very few exceptions. Uh, and uh, and you, you may have an exception, like, for example, in 1994, when the Republicans took over the House, Newt Gingrich, Dick Army, those guys, they reduced some things. But then when they lost the House and the Democrats took over again, a lot of the programs that Republicans had reduced 
for, for a few years, those programs begin to increase again the, the, the amount of spending, and they've kept on growing ever since. Mm -hmm. and, and that's what happens with the government. That's why our national debt keeps expanding, and it's going to keep expanding. Mm -hmm. And we cannot afford to do it. And eventually, we're going to pay the price for it, yeah. upon intended. Yeah. Uh, and so the solution is very simple, uh, but it's very difficult to implement. It's easy to understand, but it's very difficult to implement because people want what they want, right? Right. Especially people that get a lot of stuff from the government. They want what they want. And even though they don't want to face a future where they're not going to be able to get anything, they want what they want now and they'll worry about the future later even though they know that in the future they won't be able to get what they want. And the solution is vote for people who don't spend so much money. Yeah. You know, well, start paying down our debt. Yeah. I mean, the, the thing is that, you know, government has actually expanded quite a bit ever since 9-11. You know, 9-11 took us to a whole different realm. You know, we created the TSA, you know, where you get patted down at the airport like there is no tomorrow. Um, COVID obviously, you know, expanded government like crazy, you know, yeah. I've always wondered, and I don't know. Um, I mean, obviously people landed in the hospital, you know, there's always been a, a problem with people not having insurance in this country, right? Medical insurance. And I always wondered what happened to those people that got COVID and didn't have health insurance who covered the bill at the hospital. You know, who covered that bill? Who covered the bill for the free injections, the vaccinations, and the testing and all that stuff? It seems like it seems like every time there's a crisis or a national emergency, government just seems to grow and grow and grow and grow. And it never goes back down. It almost never yep. does, you know? Uh, I don't know. It, it, it's just... It's just interesting to see, you know, how far, you know, this process is going to go, you know, how, how long, how long can the state continue to fund this operation like this is the other question. I mean, how, how long can we go, you know, um, I don't know. I mean, right now, I think the state's got a surplus, but what happens when the surplus is gone? You know, I don't know if, if Abbott's getting any monies from the federal government reimbursed. Let me put it to you that way. Reimbursed for some of these activities. I don't know if he is or he isn't. I hope he is. I would hope, right? Because at the end of the day, you know, this is we're footing the Texas taxpayers footing the bill one way or the other. Yeah. You know, so. <clears throat> You know, definitely there has to be a little bit more uh, a proactive approach from the federal government. But I don't think you're going to see that in this administration. Uh, quite honestly, I don't even think even if there was a change in administrations, if let's say anybody other than Trump, I don't I don't trust any other Republican when they say they're going to cut immigration. <laughs> Or they're gonna cartel immigration better. Yet. You know, I don't know. I just yeah. don't think I, I don't think they're gonna be as active, in my opinion, 
as Trump as Trump probably would have been. You know. Unfortunately, I have to agree with you. And I say unfortunately because at a personal level, I'm sick and tired of Trump. <laughs> like his 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 demeanor, just his his self-absorption. I'm so tired of it. On the other hand, policy-wise, uh, I I was on board with the guy. I'd say probably eighty-five to ninety percent. Um, especially like in issues of foreign policy and immigration, uh, uh, social issues. I was, from what I can think of now, I was on board with him probably a hundred percent. So yeah, like. Uh, his persona, his his personal life, like, come on, dude, get it together. But right. policy-wise, I can't argue with the guy. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I just don't see, I just, and this is for next, ne- the next show, right? Because we'll be looking at the Republican candidates. But I just don't see a Ron DeSantis, a Chris Christie. I don't know who else is running right now. But any of those guys are going to take the kind of tough stands that probably Trump did, you know, I just don't see it because by its very nature, those other guys are politicians. And quite frankly, Trump wasn't a politician. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's funny because so many people uh, on the right and the left who for years and years and years, and I heard it from a lot of friends in the army, Oh, we need a non-politician. We need a non-politician, and then we get Trump, and it's like, we need a politician. It's like, wait, what? Yeah. yeah. Um, on the Republican side, just briefly, like, um, I don't like a Chris Christie. Like, I just don't like him. I think he's yeah. completely fake. Uh, I don't know if Nikki Haley. I don't know how much to trust that she's going to be as strong as she sounds because she sounds good. Yeah. I don't know how much to trust her. Tim Scott tries to be, I, I like Tim Scott a lot, like, yeah. but I don't know how, he tries to be too nice. Yeah. That, and I don't know how much that can work. Yeah. DeSantis, he comes across as trying to be too slick. Yeah. He's had the right idea. I mean, the, the right policies in Florida. Um, uh, I like that, that Indian kid, uh, Rama is something. Uh, I like him, but some of his ideas about the Constitution uh, it's not that he's way out in left field, like unconstitutional. It's just I think he's he tries to be too cute yeah. uh, sometimes with some of those ideas. Um, and then some of the... I think Asa Hutchinson is running. I mean, He's he had his glory days in the nineties. That yeah. dude, like he's he's done. Like yeah. pack it up. Um, there's some other ones, but the, to me, those are the the main ones. Um, well, that's definitely for next week. There's no doubt about that. We'll we'll have a whole preview on on that on the slate. But I wanted to close with with, with something else, just a, just a little bit. And regardless of party. What do you think of the McConnells and the Feinsteins and all these old eighty-year-olds that just don't want let don't want to let it go? 
I mean, they're practically they're practically falling apart there on Capitol Hill, but they just don't want to retire. <laughs> they don't want to retire, you know. I am now one hundred percent. These people have made sure that I am now a hundred percent on board with term limits. Yeah, like I, I had. I had a buddy of mine who actually unfriended me. He called me. I won't. I, I won't mention the, the specific issue, but he uh, he he called me a hater and a number of other things simply because we had. I didn't say anything hateful, like in any way, shape, or form. We simply disagreed on a political issue. Yeah. And he called me a hater. Unfriended me. Has never talked to me ever since. Um, but he was a, he was a really good friend of mine in the army. And uh, he tried to convince me uh, to get on board with with term limits, and I, I said no, no, yeah. it's not in the constitution, so I know. Uh, but now with this, all of these really old people that that are not there physically or intellectually, yeah. starting with Biden, yeah. uh, and, and and McConnell and Feinstein and some other ones that are really old. Like no, you know I'm a, I'm a, now I'm a believer on term limits. Yeah, they they have to go. Yeah, um, and it was it was really. I mean, I remember seeing that video of McConnell. I mean, I was I was trying to figure out what the heck was going on with him. I yeah, mean, it was scary. You know what it reminded me, and you know I have family members that have had dementia and Alzheimer's, and it almost seemed to me that he had one of those spaced out episodes like an Alzheimer's or a dementia patient typically gets. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's at that age, you know, Feinstein, the same thing. She, she fell the other day. I don't know if she broke her hip or something, you know, but these people need to, you know, hang up the gloves, you know, let it go. They're not doing the country any good whatsoever. by sticking No, around. no, they are not. You know. Hey, let yeah. me make a one one closing statement, if I may. Sure. With in relation to immigration, very quickly here. Um, as a Christian, I also have so I have a I have a double, like a double edged sword by which I try to look at every issue. And one is the right. Constitution, but above the Constitution comes the Bible too, right? Right. And the Constitution and the Bible talks about in the Old and New Testament. It talks about how to deal with 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 uh, the sojourner or people, the traveler, the immigrant, the the refugee, if you will, right? Right. So, whoever may be watching this, or for you and I, for for people who may watch the the video later, uh, whoever we allow in the country, we or however we deal with people at the border and then we may deport them or keep them outside, we need to do it in humane ways. We need to be, we are a civilized uh, country historically, whether some people reject this idea that we are a Christian nation, but we have adopted and lived by Christian values, Judeo-Christian values, and we need need to live up to those values um, in how we treat people, whether we let them in, or keep them out. We need to treat them humanely, uh, and we, we need to strive for that. That should be our goal. 
uh, and honor that Judeo-Christian tradition that we that we were founded upon. And if you reject that idea, that that history, then you have no business trying to hold us accountable to that because you rejected history. Right. Uh, but for those of us who hold on to that uh, that view, we need to be accountable to that. Right. I mean, there is no doubt that we have to uphold the values, you know, that, you know, we've been raised to hold up, you know, um, you know, when it comes to morals, when it comes to looking out for our fellow man, uh, you know, uh, being able to clothe and feed, you know, when necessary. And there are times when that's that's required. And I don't want anybody to get the idea that. You know, we want to throw everybody out or, we, or that we feel that we shouldn't help anyone because that's not what you know, Jesus taught us to do. Right. That's not what he's taught us to do. So but there are laws and every nation has laws and there's processes that have to be followed. You know? And unfortunately, for many years, you know, spanning all sorts of administrations, you know, there's yep. been a lack of enforcement. You know, uh, I've always said that before we create additional laws, why don't we look at the laws that we already have in the books and enforce them? You know, you know, and and unfortunately, nobody does that. You know, nobody does that. You know, so. All right, Kevin. Well, it was a great show tonight. Um, I forgot to mention to anybody out there that the chat lines were open. So somebody could have chimed in if they wanted to. They'll remain open for the next one. Uh, it can get kind of fun. I do have to control it sometimes because I have a few internet trolls and haters that pop up every once in a while. So I have to deal with those. But uh, for the most part, most part, they'll remain open. So everybody, this was tonight's show. I hope you found it uh, informative. And obviously, this is something that is affecting you, especially if you're here in Texas and if you live down here in South Texas. It definitely uh, affects you each and every day. And uh, like I said, we'll be back next week. Uh, we're going to look at the Republican candidates. There is a debate the week after. It is the first Republican debate for president. And we'll be looking at each of the candidates and uh, kind of looking at where they stand on some of the issues. So uh, stay tuned for, for that. Kevin will be back next week with me. Uh, later on tonight, for those of you that are interested, uh, we will be covering a SpaceX launch tonight. Uh, they'll be launching some additional Starlink satellites, so we'll be covering that as well. And tomorrow, we've got the uh, Spin Zone, where we'll be covering uh, the latest from training camp from the Dallas Cowboys. And uh, Sunday, we've got uh, Doug's Dugout, where we'll be covering everything with regards to Major League Baseball and what's going on there. So we've got some pretty exciting shows. I hope you all tune in, and we'll see you next week. Kevin, thank you for another good show. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Good night, Danny. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.